0: The Murder Minute podcast contains depictions of real-life true crime stories. Some details may be disturbing, and listener discretion is advised. This is Murder Minute. I'm your host, Mrs. Smitty, and today is Monday, September 13th, 2021. Today on Murder Minute, I'll be telling you a story about the death of one of the most prominent figures in the music industry, who was gunned down in Las Vegas 25 years ago. But first, your true crime headlines. A 19-year-old woman who confessed to stabbing her friend as a preteen because of her devotion to the fictional character Slender Man is set to be released from the mental institution where she has been treated for the past four years. Anissa Wire and her friend Morgan Geyser admitted to stabbing their friend Peyton Lutner in a park after a sleepover in 2019. All three girls were 12 years old at the time of the stabbing. Lutner was stabbed 19 times and left for dead, but was found by a passing bicyclist and eventually recovered from her injuries. Wire and Geyser were found later that day walking along Interstate 94 in Waukesha, Wisconsin. When authorities questioned the girls, they told them that they were walking to Slenderman's mansion in the forest and that they had stabbed their friends so that they could become Slenderman's servants. Wire pleaded guilty to second-degree intentional homicide, and in December of 2017, she was sentenced to 25 years in a mental health facility. Through her attorneys, she has petitioned for a conditional release, stating that she has taken advantage of all available treatments offered to her in the facility. In July, the judge in the case ruled that she posed no threat and a plan should be made for her release. Under the terms of the plan, WIRE will be monitored by GPS, will continue to undergo mental health treatment and will be restricted from accessing the internet. WIRE is scheduled to be released today on Monday. Morgan Geiser, who also participated in the stabbing, was sentenced to 40 years in a mental health facility and currently there are no plans for her release. A maskless woman who was captured on video coughing on shoppers at a Nebraska supermarket has now been fired from her job. The video, which was originally uploaded to Reddit, shows a middle-aged blonde woman, later identified as Janine Haskovec, arguing with a mother and daughter in a Super Saver grocery store in Lincoln, Nebraska. She tells the woman who is recording that she doesn't need to wear a mask and then proceeds to repeatedly cough on the woman, claiming that she's got allergies. After store employees intervened, the woman continued to follow the mother and daughter around the store coughing. The woman's employer, business software company SAP, released a statement regarding the incident. After emphasizing that they take the health and safety of their communities and employees very seriously, They went on to say that they had reviewed the incident and could confirm that the individual in question no longer works for sap numerous people who watched the video encouraged the poster to file charges against the woman in question but to date no charges have been filed a michigan man has been charged in connection with the death of a toddler who shot himself while playing with the man's loaded gun 29-year-old Chase Dersham is facing one count of manslaughter and one count of child abuse for the incident, in which his girlfriend's three-year-old son found the loaded and unsecured weapon and fired off one shot while he was playing with it. The child was taken to the hospital, where he was later pronounced dead. Dersham is being held on $50,000 bail and is scheduled to appear in court on September 15th. Those were your true crime headlines. After this break, our main story. It was September 7th, 1996. 9,000 spectators had assembled at the MGM Grand Garden Arena to watch the highly anticipated fight between Mike Tyson and Bruce Seldon. Millions more tuned into the pay-per-view telecast to see the fight on television. Less than two minutes after the bell rang, Mike Tyson knocked out his opponent with a vicious left hook. Almost immediately, frustrated fans jumped to their feet and shouted that the fight was fake. In an interview immediately following the fight, as fans continued to chant that it was a fix, Seldon vehemently denied the accusations. He told commentator Jim Gray that he hadn't trained for the past 12 weeks just to take a dive. The fight was one of the shortest heavyweight bouts in boxing history and one of the most controversial. Within hours, the controversy surrounding the fight would be overshadowed by what was to follow. Among the spectators at the MGM that night was rapper Tupac Shakur. Tupac was one of the biggest names in music and a prominent figure in East Coast, West Coast rivalry that dominated rap music at that time. Two years prior, Tupac had survived an attempt on his life He was in the lobby of a New York recording studio when he was ambushed by three men who robbed him of $35,000 worth of jewelry and shot him five times, including twice in the head. Tupac was rushed to the hospital after the attack, but left the hospital the following day to recover at an undisclosed location amid concerns for his safety. At the studio on the night of the shooting were prominent East Coast rapper Biggie Smalls and his manager, Sean Puffy Combs. Their reaction to Tupac's shooting led him to believe that they had somehow been involved. In an interview after he had recovered, Tupac recalled that neither man looked particularly surprised to see Tupac bleeding and wounded that night. And if anything, they seemed to be surprised that he was still alive. This incident would spark the East Coast, West Coast rap feud that dominated 90s hip hop. With Tupac and Suge Knight at Death Row Records representing the West Coast, and Biggie and Puffy at Bad Boy, representing the East Coast. At the Tyson fight in Vegas in 1996, Death Row founder Suge Knight and his biggest star were sitting in thousand dollar ringside seats. Tupac had recently written a song for Tyson and had been personally invited to the fight by the boxer. After congratulating Tyson for his win, Shakur and his entourage departed the arena. Among them were Death Row Records founder Suge Knight other artists from the label, and several bodyguards. As they walked through the casino, they encountered a man named Orlando Anderson, a known gang member. Anderson was affiliated with the Southside Crips, and a few months earlier, he had been involved in a fight at a mall in Los Angeles with a man named Trayvon Lane, a member of a rival Bloods gang. During that fight, Anderson is believed to have snatched a chain from the neck of Trayvon Lane. This particular chain was one that bore the logo of Knight's label, Death Row Records, and they were a gift that he bestowed only on members of his inner circle. It was rumored that the Crips had offered a bounty for anyone who could steal one of these necklaces from the wearer, just as Anderson was believed to have done during that fight at the mall. Shook Knight had long been associated with the Mob Pyru set of the Blood Street Gang and employed several gang members at his label and as part of his security detail, including the bodyguards who accompanied them to the Tyson fight that evening. Tupac saw Anderson in the crowd at the MGM that night and pounced. After he threw the first punch, Tupac and his entourage pummeled and kicked the man, leaving him laid out on the carpet after the brief but brutal altercation. Security camera footage from the casino captured Tupac and Knight, along with their entourage, departing the casino immediately following the fight with scores of onlookers and presumably fans following close behind. After the men left the MGM, they returned to their hotel, where Tupac told his girlfriend about the altercation with Anderson in the casino. Tupac was scheduled to perform later that evening at a Las Vegas club owned by Suge Knight called 662. The number 662 on a phone correspond with the letters M-O-B, or Members of Bloods, Tupac told his girlfriend that he thought it was too dangerous for her to accompany him to the performance, so she stayed behind at the hotel. Around 11pm, Tupac Shakur and Suge Knight set out for Club 662 with their entourage in tow. Knight was behind the wheel of a black BMW with Shakur in the passenger's seat. In total, there were about 10 vehicles in the caravan, including the artists, their security detail, and several others. As the BMW was stopped at a red light at the corner of Flamingo Boulevard and Koval Lane, a white Cadillac pulled up alongside them on the right side. A man leaned out the window of the Cadillac and opened fire. At least 12 shots were fired, with four of them striking Tupac. He was hit twice in the torso, once in the thigh, and once in the arm. Another grazed the head of Suge Knight, who did a U-turn in the road and sped back down the road in the direction they had come from. They came to a stop on Las Vegas Boulevard, about one mile from the scene of the shooting, where emergency personnel administered aid and rushed both men to the hospital. Knight suffered only minor injuries in the attack and was treated and released the following day. Shakur was rushed into emergency surgery that night, and doctors saw some improvement in his condition immediately following the surgery. Tupac was placed in a medically induced coma after repeatedly trying to leave his bed. Members of his own security detail guarded the hospital room, fearing that whoever had attempted to kill the rapper might try to return and finish the job. Tupac lingered in the hospital for a few days, and eventually his right lung, which had been pierced by one of the shooter's bullets, was removed. After the removal of his lung, Tupac suffered a cardiac arrest and internal bleeding, and finally died of respiratory failure on the afternoon of September 13th, 1996. He was 25 years old. While numerous eyewitnesses had been present at the time of the shooting, Las Vegas Metro Police stated early on in their investigation that they had received very little cooperation from the members of Tupac's entourage. One year after the shooting, Sergeant Ken Manning, who was leading the investigation, told a reporter from the Las Vegas Sun that the crime might never be solved, citing that lack of cooperation from the witnesses. Just six months after Tupac's death, his biggest rival, Biggie Smalls, was shot and killed under similar circumstances in Los Angeles. He was 24 years old. 25 years later, both crimes officially remain unsolved. Orlando Anderson, who was considered by many to be a prime suspect in Tupac's murder, was himself killed in a gang-related shootout in 1998. He consistently denied any involvement in Tupac's murder. For a live discussion of this week's episode, join me on the Stereo app tomorrow, September 14th, at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. We'll talk about this week's true crime headlines and discuss the week's main story in more detail. Click the link in the episode description and come join in the discussion. For even more true crime content, download the Murder Minute app and follow me on Instagram at Murder Minute and on TikTok at True Crime Headlines. Until next week, I'm Mrs. Smitty, and this has been your Murder Minute.